Dear Lord God, thank you for the way you speak to us, um, the way you reveal yourself, so specially and specifically through Holy Scripture and through your Word made flesh, Jesus our Lord. And we thank you, Lord, too, for the way that you publish glad tidings in all the world, pointing to the truth of who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus. And we ask now that as we turn to silly things like superhero movies, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to see um, your story uh, mimicked and um, parroted throughout our culture. And so we ask this for your glory's sake and in Jesus' name. Amen. As you all um, might be aware, every winter I try to do a series where I look at the three three films that have been nominated for Best Picture, for the Academy Award for Best Picture. And so um, this year they were especially dark. And I thought, oh gosh, nobody's nobody wants to see these movies. I mean, they're widely acclaimed, but who would want to go and be depressed in the movie theater? So I thought, well, I better look at some lighter lighter films, and why not um, in the summer? And I wanted to cover more than just one movie because I feel like sometimes I'll go in deep on one movie. But I thought there are some themes that just have something in common throughout many films that are in the genre. And so I picked three genres this summer. So I'll be doing superhero movies today. Next week, I'll look at romantic movies, um, both romantic comedies and sappy, sad romantic movies. And then uh, the third week, I'll look at movies that are based on a true story, um, because often those... Uh, those that have certain themes running through them, and we end up looking looking up to the main characters in them for certain reasons. So, um, so well, why why do we look at films anyway? Why would we even go to the movie theater and see what we could see through theological eyes? Well, I think that, um, and forgive me if you've heard me say this before, if you've gone to any of my film classes, I might just have said it. I really think that as we hear stories, there's something about storytelling for us that gets us up out of ourselves, right? We escape into the world of the film um, or the world of a novel, say, if you're reading a good book. We forget everything that's going on in our lives, which if you're a worrier like me, it's good to get out of your head and have something else to totally think about and totally occupy your mind. Well, so movies get us up out of ourselves. They get us when our guard is down. And when our guard is down, when we're in the dark of the movie theater, Um, We're vulnerable. We're open to hearing something that we might not be open to hearing otherwise. They very often give us a new perspective and then return us to our world. And we see this actually, we see this phenomenon in Scripture. In the Old Testament, one particular example that comes to mind always is in 2 Samuel 12 with David's notorious sin with Bathsheba, remember. And there he is, and Nathan, the prophet, comes to him and tells David a story. How do you tell the king he's done something horribly wrong? Well, you tell him a story. And Nathan tells him this story about the little lamb of the poor man that the rich man came and stole and slaughtered. And, um, and David's response is, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And David, of course, responds, or Nathan, of course, responds to David, you are the man. It's the only way he could have been convicted of that horrific sin. We hear it, so we hear it there in the Old Testament. We see stories, Nathan tells a story to David for um, him to feel convicted. We see it in the New Testament, of course, in Jesus' parables. 
Jesus tells things in stories so that he can get around through the back door of people's minds and hearts, so that he can catch them unaware, so that we would be convicted, so that we would be able to see who he is. Um, He says, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So stories, and what is a parable but a good story, just like we heard from today's sermon. Um, And if you haven't heard it yet, it's it's a good sermon on the Good Samaritan. So stories get us up out of ourselves. They get us when our guard is down, and then they return us to our world. So, well, why why comic book movies? I just picked them because I love them. I just love, I'm, an, I'm a movie omnivore, basically. The only kinds of movies I don't like are horror films, because why, why would I want to scare myself silly? And then also sports films, because I just get bored. Sorry about the sports. But comic book movies recently have had a renaissance. Um, they started, for me, I started watching about comic book heroes every day after school. My sister and I would come home. And yes, we would watch old Batman. And there's nothing like kapow to make you really engaged and watch. And it's so cheesy and it's so campy and it's really fun to go back and see uh, every once in a while and take a look at, wow, why was that so popular? Well, it's it's good versus evil. It's about a conflict that goes on. So um, starting there in the 60s with the old Batman, the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s and 90s, they were peppered with a few successes. I'm sure you think about Superman 1978 or um, the 90s movies about Batman with Michael Keaton as Batman. Um, But then we've had, in recent years, in the last 15 years, we've had a huge proliferation of these movies. They started with X-Men 15 years ago in 2001, and then they've just, every year, there's at least three or four. I read something that said in 2004, of the top 10 grossing films of the year, four of those were comic book movies. So they are um, readily available, they're expensive to make, and they spare no expense because they make it back in box office proceeds. So we hear from DC Comics, those are Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, The Green Lantern, Justice League, and Marvel, The X-Men, The Avengers, The Fantastic Four, Iron Man, Captain America, The Incredible Hulk, Spider-Man. They're competing with each other almost, aren't they? to try to get as many films out there. And just this year, we've had two um, films, one from Marvel and one from DC, where they're bringing together a whole league of people. And that just means more movies, because you have to do a movie about each individual superhero, right? So they're just raking it in, really. (laughs) But they're fun movies. How many of you have seen the most recent ones, the um, Civil War? which is the Avengers I have. My husband really loves these movies, and I love them too, so I'm like, great, we'll go see it in the theater. And I think if you see anything in a theater, better to see all those special effects up on the big screen than something else. Um, So uh, there's that Civil War one. Then also over Easter weekend, Batman versus Superman open. How many have seen that as well? Yes, me too. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad I'm not alone in having seen them all. Um, well, so some of them are definitely better than others. If you're ever curious about any kind of movie, is it a good movie or not? Is it going to be well written? Because there's nothing like having spent $10 now, is it, to go to the movie theater and then it's a terrible movie and you're just kicking yourself and saying, why didn't I go see something else? Well, there's a website called IMDB, 
Movie.com, the Internet Movie Database. And if you go on that website, you can just, or the app, you can just look at it and see what's the Metascore. Is the Metascore above 50? Then it's going to be okay. It's going to be decent. And most superhero uh, movies, if they get above 50, they're good. But don't go down below 50. That's bad. So um, all this to say, after having seen enough of these films over the years, I'm going to say there are three, um, one of my basic theses is that there are three types of storylines for the three types of comic book heroes. Three different types. Um, so some of the spiritual merits of all three of these are combined. In all of them, you get a strong sense of good and evil fighting each other. We saw this with that old Batman and Robin clip, right? You're never in doubt who the good guys are or who the bad guys are. And there's this sense of justice at the end of the show. You know, at the end of every show, it's like, well, they got the bad guys. Thank goodness. And this can be helpful. Um, this can be helpful for us in our world of relativistic uh, morality. When our culture is saying anything goes, someone at least is saying, both to us as adults and also to the kids that watch these movies, no, there is a sense of right and wrong. There are some things, there is a morality that we need to follow. Um, And one comic book maker who's a Christian writes this, which I love. Superhuman power, or superhuman powers, flawed heroes that overcome with supernatural assistance, dystopian societies, good versus evil. Do any of these themes sound familiar to us, regular readers of scripture? Right, The conflict that's therein and the drama is something we're familiar with as we read scripture. And it's something that our world all too often doesn't engage with um, helpfully. So then uh, in recent years, I would say in the aughts and teens, in these last 15 years of all these movies, we see this trend where um, no longer is it so clear black and white, good and evil. What you do see is that the superheroes themselves have flaws in their characters or there's some ambiguity in um, their motivation. And that can be helpful. It shows that those ones that are so clearly human really are human and they are not gods. And that can be a really good thing. It also um, It also shows that there's no... The good guys versus the bad guys, it's not that easy. And if anything has showed us this, this week, our life lived as a nation where there's such a polarization between who's good, who's bad, who's right, who's wrong, about non-essentials, about things that could divide us on when we should be united and we should be without conflict and we should be peaceful. This here, at least in these movies, we see some of that um, questioning, which is helpful and good, especially for the younger viewers. So that's one aspect, the strong sense of good and evil fighting each other, even when that um, question of who's good and who's um, not righteous is being brought up. The second thing I would say is that there's always, in all of these movies, you often see that the hero, what makes the hero the hero, is not his gadgets, it's not his x-ray vision, it's not his um, any of his wonderful talents, his mutant abilities. Rather, it's the hero's willingness to sacrifice himself on behalf of the welfare of those weaker than himself. And there are so many examples of this. I could cite so many different examples that I'm not, I'm not going to. I'm going to give you one little clip from Civil War, which is the most recent Avengers movie. And I see this present there. I'm going to fast forward through all these. You don't need to see that. 
whoa, 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 yeah. Secretary Ross has a Congressional Medal of Honor, which is one more than you have. So let's say we agree to this thing. How long is it going to be before they lowjack us like a bunch of common criminals? 117 countries want to sign this. 117, Sam, and you're just like, no, it's cool. We How long it. are you going to play both sides? I have an equation. Oh, oh this will clear it up. I'm saying there may be a causality. Our very strength invites challenge. Challenge incites conflict. Conflict breeds catastrophe. Oversight. Boy, you know me so long. Actually, I'm nursing my electromagnetic headache. Oh, that's Charles Spencer, by the way. It's a great kid. Computer engineering degree, 3.6 GPA, had a floor-level gig, an Intel plan for the fall. He decided to spend his summer building sustainable housing for the poor guests with Sokovia. That's where the last movie occurred, in Sokovia, just in case. You want to make a difference, I suppose. I mean, we won't know because we dropped a building on him while we were kicking ass. Sorry we about the language. Check. Whatever form that takes, I'm getting. If we can't accept limitations, we're boundaryless. We know better than the bad guys. Tony, someone dies on the watch, you don't give up. Who's ever given up? We are for not taking responsibility for our actions. But it's run by people with agendas, and agendas change. That's good. That's why I'm here. I wanted you to hear, um, is it uh, Stark saying, Rodney Stark saying that it's, we, we've got to be careful. We've been too, um, too reckless with human life. Even while we're trying to save people, we've caused so many deaths, essentially. And so they're willing to be hampered, to be s submitted underneath this human board of review, the Avengers are. And that's what they're arguing about right there. So even that willingness to sacrifice, and there you see the willingness even to sacrifice their own autonomy to be able to um, to be able to better serve the people, to be able to better care for the weak and the vulnerable. So again, that theme, that second theme, a hero's willingness to sacrifice himself on behalf of the welfare of those who, who are weaker than himself. That's one of the second characteristics of all of the superhero movies. I would say there are three different kinds of superhero movies. The first one, I think, is right there, Stark, the self-made hero. You see that with Iron Man, right? He's so rich, he comes up with all these gadgets, he has this magnificent suit, and that's how he can fly around and save people. Um, but he's really the self-made man. Um, he's a hero because of his wealth and his own ingenuity. And actually, in the second most recent um, Avengers movie, it's actually Age of Ultron, last year, 2015. They're really, I mean, they're really coming up. 2015, 2016, get ready. It's just going to be rapid fire. In that moment, there's a clip that I don't have time to show you, but there's a great clip where his own invention turns against him. It's the classic Frankenstein moment. And he realizes the arrogance of his ways and how dangerous his own pride and his own um, self-made wealth and um, technology has actually put the whole world at danger. So it's interesting. That storyline is very interesting. That's one kind of hero. And I would actually put underneath that same category, I'd actually put Batman under that category, right? Even though it's his suffering that causes him to go seek vengeance and justice or justice verging on the edge of revenge and vengeance, Batman is the most human of the superheroes. He is um, built up with his own wealth 
and it's his gadgets that save him. So he also is a self-made man. Um, as one writer says, um, Bruce Wayne is not the savior the world needs. He's the savior that we want. He's the superhero that we want because we want to believe I could be like that. If I just had enough fill in the blank, I'd be a hero too. And that's actually not very helpful for the Christian uh, point of view. That's not very helpful for helping us actually have an adequate spiritual diagnosis of our own selves. So that's one time, the se- one kind, the self-made superhero, less helpful of a narrative for us as we're trying to preach the gospel through super, um, through comic book movies. The second one is the mutant, I would say. If you think about X-Men, the storyline of the X-Men, they um, mutate out of, uh, or they've been born with this mutation that allows them to um, to have these superhuman abilities. Captain America also, I would say, falls under that category. And it raises, more than anything, those superheroes raise the question of how people who are different fit into a world that won't accept them, even when they're trying to help the world. And that is... That's a narrative that's interesting for us as a Christian community because more and more our identity and our morality and our um, our otherness, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And more and more as we engage in the public sector, we find ourselves being looked at like mutants, right? And so that narrative can be helpful for saying, how do we um, really actually help people when they don't want us to help us, help them when they're actually afraid of us? How do we continue to invest in their lives and proclaim the gospel? So those are the two kinds that are less helpful. I think the most important kind of superhero movie, and I, this whole class is really just so I can focus on this kind, the um, the most gospel-centered superhero theme is when something totally or someone totally alien, totally beyond human abilities, comes into our world from outside of our world to save our world. And who's that? Superman, Right? The Superman narrative, he starts out as an alien. He is sent by his father into the world to save the world. Isn't that cool? I'm going to show you this super cheesy clip from 1978, so bear with me. But it's Marlon Brando, so it's just great. If it's too quiet, just let me know. And sorry about the graphics. 1978, remember. If you've seen any of the recent ones, there have been two reboots, and they keep trying to revisit this same narrative, and the technology is much better. We will never leave you, even in the face of the richness of our lives shall be yours. All that I have, all that I burn, everything I feel, all this and more I I bequeath you, my son. You will carry me inside you all the days of your life. You will make my strength your own. See my life through your eyes, as your life will be seen through mine. The Son comes to Father, Father, the Son. 
Marlon Brando is good, isn't he? Yeah. Do you hear, um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. The Son becomes the Father, and the Father becomes the Son, is what Jor-El is saying to Kal-El, or Superman. And then later on, when he comes of age, there's this um, holograph, Father-Son dialogue, and he says again, I have sent them you, my only Son. Do you hear the echo of that? Gives me chills a little bit. And um, if you know the story, they both Kalel and Lara, I believe, who's his wife, then die on Krypton. They're um, unwilling to eject themselves because they're part of this fallen race and whatever. So it's part of this self-sacrifice. But there is this idea of self-sacrifice right there in the way the father and, and mother um, interact with the world, and it's almost as though that's the spiritual DNA that they're giving their son right there. And that's true with Jesus Christ, right? The the impulse to save and to sacrifice himself on our behalf, it doesn't come just from the son. It's not as though the father is all law and justice and the son is all grace and mercy. No, the, the impulse comes straight from the father's heart. Father and son are united in the will um, to give sacrificially to the point of death um, for um, for humanity. We hear then later on um, as as Superman comes of age and there's this question. Um, this is in the newer one in the most recent reboot from 2013 called Man of Steel that um, he asks, why did you let me live here for so long without telling me who who I was? And Jor-El, the father, responds, we wanted you to learn what it meant to be human first so that one day you could be the bridge between two peoples, Um, the bridge between earth and outer space, or really um, mirrored in Christ, that's mirroring Christ, right? The bridge between um, God and man. So let me run through a couple of other details that are just helpful. Both Superman and Jesus saved the world at age 33. Huh. Man of Steel also makes that um, thing come right out. There's a major image of rescue in the 1978 one that I just think is fabulous. So forgive me for showing you another little bit from it. It's a very good movie, that 1978 movie. And it just, there's a moment. I'm going to fast forward it a little because it's everything goes much slower in 1978 movies than, okay. This is Lois, of course. Isn't that good, 1978? The phone booths aren't what they used to be. (laughs) 
Let What a great line, right? You've got me, who's got you? How about that image, the classic image of the damsel in distress? Of course, the, eleva- uh, the helicopter at the, on the roof of the Daily Planet has had some kind of malfunction. And in 19, the 1978 movie, and I'm sure three, four, five that f- succeeded it into the 80s, they show so much more of this blatant rescue. These moments where Superman is battling, um, dan- is rescuing so many damsels in distress, saving banks from being robbed, um, putting, knocking uh, thieves' heads together just in time for the police to come and arrest them. It's so obvious how much humanity is in need of rescue. And there is Superman all throughout going around, rescuing everywhere, hearing all around the earth whenever there's someone in distress or in trouble and going and rescuing them. Well, we hear this in Scripture, don't we? We hear it all the time, especially in the Psalms. I love the Psalms because they have um, such a range of human emotion. What a great gift to us that God says, it's okay for you to be um, in the pit of despair. You can be angry at me. You can be upset with this other person. And of course, above all else, you can and you should call out to me for rescue. And so here's just a smattering of some of the Psalms. Psalm 18, he rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me. And then the cries too. Psalm 22, save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Psalm 31, incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. Psalm 31, my times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Hear it all throughout. It's there in the Psalms. And there is this sense in which as fallen and broken human beings in the struggle between good and evil, in the struggle that exists outside of us, in the world around us, in our culture, and the struggle that exists within us, as we see our own sin for what it is, we're like Lois. In that clip, hanging on by strap, there is no hope for us. There's no hope for Lois. She's going to fall, and she does fall. Um, And yet, for us, we have a rescuer, one who is mighty to save, one who has forgiven us all of our sins, who has cleansed us from sin, who has assured us that when we die in this life, our sins will die with us, and then we will be raised to new and eternal life at the last day. There is hope for us, just as there's hope for Metropolis. So um, I love that clip. There's also then this response to the perfection of Superman, to his goodness. In the old, um, in the old 1978 version, he says what he stands for: truth, justice, goodness, in the American way. How's that for? a line of ideals, but there is this perfection in Superman that causes people to hate him. And in the ninth, in 2006, there was a reboot of the um, Superman movies that's very good. It's called Superman Returns. 
And in it, you hear some of the same mythology about his origin. Um, But he's been gone for five years. He comes back, and Lois has moved on with her life. Lois is married and has a son and doesn't need Superman. And she's won the Pulitzer Prize. And the reason she won the Pulitzer Prize was because she wrote an article that says why the world doesn't need Superman. And in it, she basically says the world doesn't need Superman because we just need to be our own savior. We need to be our own hero. We don't need a hero. We don't need a savior. And in response to that um, article that Lois has written, and in response to her anger at Superman having been gone forever, he... um, I'm going to put this up, and we're going to fast forward a little bit. He takes her flying once again, which is how she falls in love with him the first time. But this is what he says to her. All the flying scenes are great scenes when Superman and Lois are flying in all of the movies. But do you hear that? You say the world doesn't need a savior. Do you hear what all I hear is people crying for a savior? That could have come right out of the mouth of Jesus Christ, couldn't it? Well, so the world needs a savior, but the world doesn't want a savior. The world doesn't want to be saved. We want to do it ourselves. Or as one of the children in my family said growing up at age two, I want to do it my selfie self. <laughs> that's that's in our human sin. We want to do it our selfie self. We don't want God to come and rescue us because that would mean that we have to admit that we need him. So there is among humanity, and we see this in the Gospels, there is this hatred for Jesus in his righteousness because his godly perfection holds up a mirror to us in which we see our own sins and imperfections. We, are, we see our failure in light of the beauty and perfection of who he is. And that's where in John, we hear it, especially in that first chapter of John, to those um, he appears to. I'm trying to get the exact quote, and I didn't have it. He, um, they rejected him. He came to his own, but they rejected him. And we see this in the Gospels, in the um, crucifixion, in the passion narratives. There's so much rejection of Jesus. Um, do you want him to be your king? Says, what do you want me to do with your king? Says Pontius Pilate to the crowd in John chapter 19. And they say, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. 
They commit blasphemy in order to do away um, with this perfect man who is God also. And I see this also in the... um, in the Superman series, and I'm only going to show a little bit of this clip because I'm totally running out of time, but there is this moment in um, in the same one in Superman Returns, and Superman's gone. Lex Luthor has this mountain of kryptonite, and Superman doesn't realize it, but he's standing on a mountain of kryptonite. So, of course, he's powerless to fight back. Kevin Spacey's really good as Lex Luthor. He bleeds. You're asking yourself, didn't your dad ever teach you to look before you leave? Crystals. They're amazing, aren't they? They inherit the traits of the minerals around them. Kind of like a son inheriting the traits of his father. Sorry, to show you this. Sorry. I'm sorry I showed it to you, but does it, does it remind you? I, I felt the same way watching that that I felt watching the Passion of the Christ. Like, I don't want to watch. There's something about that hatred for him and his perfection 
and then his willingness to sacrifice himself on behalf of all humanity. With Superman, there's always a miraculous return, isn't there? And especially, uh, just, uh, it was no accident that they, I think, that they put out Batman versus Superman this year, right during uh, Easter weekend. And we saw it not long after, and it was just so striking. So I would say this, um, this story is our story. This story is the gospel story, and it speaks to people who would never set foot in a church, and what a way to make a bridge for the sake of the gospel. So um, let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for the way you show us through parables and stories the truth of our story, the truth of your story, your gospel story. And thank you, Lord, because um, without you coming and dying and rising again, um, it would be the end of our story. But because of you, the story goes on and our story goes on and will go on eternally. And we give you thanks and praise and glory for this. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to give us eyes to see the way that you are at work in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.